Thank you, ma'am. You know, if you'd asked me if there was going to be a coup in Mali, I'd have told you no way. I mean, so it really is a, such a stable country. I want you to know that. And uh, when she read that to me and I started reading on my own, I was just so surprised. In Niger, I wouldn't have been surprised at all. You go to Niger, everyone has an AK-47, you know. You see military everywhere. In Mali, you never even saw the presence of the, mil- the, presence of the military. And, um, and, and, and what's, what you need to understand about the Tuareg people, what happened was the Tuareg people, maybe out of desperation, I don't know, but you know the Tuareg people are the ones that we partner with in Niger, and um, they were hired mis- mercenaries um, in Niger. No, in Niger. No. Where's, where was Gaddafi at? In Libya. The Tory people went up and fought for Gaddafi. And so then they retreated back to the desert near Timbuktu, and that was the conflict. And, the, and they were raiding towns and causing trouble, and so the government troops went up there. And the Tory people were so well armed, uh, the rebels there were so armed against the military, the military couldn't stand up against them. And they felt like the government let them down, and that led to the coup that Jesus talking about. So um, continue to pray. Would you go back? Yes, sir. I sure will. I sure will. If the Lord opens the door and wants us to go, we need to continue to go and trust God. And I'm glad I got a wife who would have been worried about me. You know, <laughs> you know some wives would go, how long can you keep him? You know, <laughs> I'm glad I've got one that would want me back anyway. So that's pretty cool. Well, listen, so I, I had a friend, and this is a true story. I had a, a friend who was a pilot, and it may have been my brother-in-law, but I can't really remember, so I won't say that. But anyway, I knew a friend who was a pilot, and he told me this. He said, you know, just about anybody can take off in an airplane. And anybody can really fly an airplane. But the difficulty is landing the airplane. They say one of the most difficult things for a pilot to do is to land a fighter or some type of aircraft on a naval carrier at sea. They say it's just almost the most difficult thing that there is. And you know, I wrote an article not too long ago about marathons. And I really admire runners. I'm not run. I'm not a runner. I, I, I ran one time. Well, I mean, like for a short period of time. And, and you know, I, I never got any kind of a high. All I got was out of air. You know, and so I, I didn't last very long in that little adventure in my life. But, you know, I admire people that run marathons. I really do. Chris Winkleman's a guy who runs marathons. Matt Winkleman runs some marathons and some others that we know. But, you know, here's the gig. It's not a person who starts the marathon. It's the person who's able to finish the marathon. Actually, I admire anybody who can run more than five miles. But, but the bottom line is, if you sign up for a marathon, you know, if you only run 100 yards, there's not a whole lot of glory in that, is there? There's really not. It's the ability to start... And to finish. And that is so true in the Christian walk. And I would suppose that if there's a message that's appropriate tonight for the Sunday night crowd, it is the message that we have tonight. I had planned something totally different. And my wife was sharing with me. She had done a little research about, and of course, it's the next chapter. If you're going to take your Bibles and turn to Second Chronicles chapter 16. Um, it's the next chapter. I hadn't really read what happened to Asa. Now, I'd read the Bible through, and I'm sure if I'd have thought about it, I'd said, oh, yeah. I had an oh, yeah moment. But I really had an oh, yeah moment. I said, well, you know what, Jenny? That's what we need to share with the folks. Because so often, just like, now listen, most of us would say, most of the crowd even this morning, first off, most of the crowd this morning, I'll say it again, I said this morning, most of the crowd this morning say, I don't need revival. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm cool. I go to church one or two times a week. I write my check, you know, I occasionally pray. And to them, that's the Christian life. And that's so 
understating the call that Jesus Christ has to the abundant life. In John 10, 10, he said, I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. And for some reason, that just doesn't sound very abundant. And God has so much more for us than that. So, so they would have said that. And, and frankly, probably the same way. I mean, you guys, come on now. You're back on Sunday night. That's pretty cool. Let's be honest. Most folks, you know, they, they fulfill the, what they feel like they need from, from God and church. Well, really from church on, on one shot a week. And usually that's Sunday morning. Okay, that's why we have 347 this morning. We have about 100 here tonight. That's just kind of normal for any church that I know of. You can just whack the church in a third and that's about what you get on Sunday night. But, but you guys are to be commended for coming back tonight. That is not the sole indicator, but it could be an indicator of your death in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, your death here. Here's a youthy person uh, who who lives far away and drives home. Can you believe that? How far do you drive? Two and a half hours to come to church here. Two and a half hours to come to church here. Yeah, yeah. I I got some folks who won't drive two blocks to get here. But anyway, you know, drives two and a half hours and she couldn't go to the movie because it had been like way late when she got home. Now, she'd have gone on home, but, you know, she said, she was, I feel like I'll just I'll come to church. Amen. Isn't that incredible? I was just like, wow, how cool. She said, God may just have some for me, and I bet he does. I bet he does. So, so we have all of that. You guys will be commended for being here on Sunday night. But, but, but you know what? It can happen to anybody. What, what, Dwayne, can happen? What can happen to anybody is a great takeoff. And a terrible landing. What can happen to anybody is to start to run the marathon and make it 100 yards, a mile, 10 miles, and die off and and quit. And so tonight, we want to look at Asa again. We want to go to 2 Chronicles chapter 16 and see how Asa ends. And you know, there's no... And there never... Rarely is there an explanation of why someone crashes and burns on landing. There's never really sometimes a reason why a a person who walks with God for decades, all of a sudden later in life, just crashes and burns and quits walking with God. There's rarely an explanation why that happens. I I said last week that we don't just one day make a decision to, to stop serving God and stop believing in God, that we often behave ourselves away from God. Maybe because we have a tendency of getting comfortable where we are with God. Maybe that's a reason why we find ourselves one day walking away from God. I don't know. I don't know. But Asa is so much commended because, you know, he, he, as a young man, as a young king, he got rid of the idols. We saw how this morning in the introduction to the message, how he, how he, under God's guidance and direction, he took on this huge army and God like beat them. And it was awesome. And when the prophet came, when the prophet, now you remember those words, when the prophet came, he heard what the prophet had to say, be strong and be encouraged. They're working your reward. And, and Asa went out and he'd already dry cleaned the country. He went back and did it again and tore down some some other idols. Um, he called the people to get, he was so godly that people left Israel and came south to live in Judah because that's where God was and they wanted to be where God was. I mean, it's just really incredible. He called the people to worship and, and they gave a huge portion of the plunder from the great battle back to God. And then they entered a covenant with God to love him with all their heart and with all their mind. Now, what we didn't read this morning was, is that, that you're going to like this part. Asa said, you know what? If there's anybody in the country that don't want revival, we need to kill them. Read it, Sarah. I mean, that's what, you know, they're going to kill everybody who doesn't sell out to God. Okay. And then he goes even against the, the queen mother. The queen mother has an Asherah pole, which is kind of a, a, 
a God, a false God thing, sexual thing. It's kind of bad. No, it's not kind of bad. It's real bad. And she, he even goes up against the cream queen mother and tears down her Asher pole. I mean, this guy had incredible boldness. And you're going to say, if anybody's going to finish right, Asa's my man. And then we read chapter 16. And I don't even know why it happened. But it's an incredible story. And it should be an incredible word of warning to every, say, say every, every, every one of us. Pastor, deacons, trustees, Sunday school teachers, a layperson. Here's how the story goes. Second Chronicles 16. In the 36th year of Asa, of Asa, Israel's king Bashan went to war against Judah. Now, I, I paused here. Now, you know, at the end, um, after, after Solomon's reign, um, I don't remember the king's name. I, I wouldn't try to, to pull it out of my head. But the bottom line was, you know, Israel said, he was from Judah, and Israel said, you know, if you'll, if you'll love us and, and, you know, and allow us to serve you in love, you know, we'll stay with you. And he goes, let me think about it. He thought about listening to bad counsel. He said, you know what, if you think my dad Solomon was tough, you've not seen anything yet. And so Israel and Judah were separated, okay? And here we see how sad it is when brother comes against brother. They declared war on each other. And I, as I read this, I hate it then. And can I just be frank with you? I hate it in the church. I hate it in the church. When war is declared, when this group and that group or this person and that person or this officer and that officer or this department and that department or this ministry. I hate it when there's war in the church. And the only person I know who truly loves it is Satan. He just loves it when church people can't get along. And so we see Israel and Judah at war, brother against brother, shedding blood. And it goes on like this. He built Ramah, King Basham did. He built Ramah in order to deny access to anyone going or coming to Judah's king Asa. Now, now, you know, again, I just referenced it from this morning. People were going south, okay, from Israel to Judah because God, Israel was carnal. There was nothing happening. And so they were leaving Israel and going to where Yahweh was, where God was. And that's the way it ought to be. People flocked to God. People, listen, the, the people in Jesus' day flocked to Jesus. They abandoned, they went away from the Pharisees and the scribes and went to Jesus because they represented law and legalism and Jesus represented compassion and love. And they flocked to Jesus. And just like, and just like the Israelites, okay, just like the Pharisees and scribes were jealous of Jesus, so, so this Basha, Basha became jealous of Asa. And he said, I'm going to build an iron curtain. Just like Communist Party put up an iron curtain to keep people from going to the West, so this king put up a fortress to stop his people from going to where God was. Isn't that incredible? You have to wall your people in because they won't go be with God. They're so unhappy and discontent with the way things are there. Now, what's really incredible is this. This king who had seeing God smite a huge army, is now so insecure that he feels like he needs to take drastic measures measures and take matters into his own hand. 
When, when a really a minor king of Israel decides to build a fortress and possibly attack, he loses his courage, he loses his godness, okay, and decides to take matters into his own hand. And I can't explain to you why. Miranda, I can't explain to you why. I don't know why. But I know this. It's my natural tendency and it's your natural tendency to take matters in our own hands. Even though Romans chapter 12 says, you know, vengeance is mine, I will pay, saith the Lord. When God says, let me handle it, let me handle it, let me handle it, we just have a tendency to handle it ourselves. And we don't do very good. We make huge messes. I know hope. Oh, gosh. Hope is such a strong will. You need to pray for Beck and Jonathan. Hope has an iron will like you wouldn't believe. And sometimes she just goes, let me do it. And she can't. She's two and a half, three years old. She's three. She's three years old. But she thinks she's 21. And often, don't we do it? Don't we do it? God, I can do it. God, I can handle it. And we can't. And we make a rotten mess. Well, that so happens with Asa. Here's his plan. So Asa brought out the silver and gold. This is interesting. Over in 1 Kings 15, 18, it's clearer because it says, and Asa brought out All, say all, all the silver and gold. He bankrupt himself in this adventure that he has when he's going to take matters in his hands. And by the way, may I say this? May I say this? That when we take matters in our own hands with God, we often bankrupt ourselves. God can do it. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. You can't bankrupt God, either in the power department or or the possession power. You can't bankrupt God. But you know what? We can bankrupt ourselves spiritually, physically, emotionally, trying to do things our own way. Does Does that ring a bell? Does that make sense? Asa takes out all the silver and gold from the treasury of the Lord's temple and the royal palace. And he said to Aram's king, Ben Hadad, who lived in Damascus, saying... Now, now, time out. King Benahad is a pagan. He's a pagan. He's not a God-man. Okay? He's not a follower of God. There's, there's kind of a treaty between Israel, okay, a shaky treaty, and there's a shaky treaty here, okay, with these two, with, with Judah and Israel, with this king, Benahad, okay? All right, but he's a pagan. All right, now watch what happens. He lived in Damascus saying, there's a treaty between me and you, between my father and your father. Look, I have sent you silver and gold. How much? All. All that he had. He bankrupted himself. I've sent you silver and gold. Now, listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to break your tweety. Your tweety. All right. All right. Don't lose your concentration. Now for this sermon, you've got this little pink yellow bird named Tweety Bird, aren't you? Go break your treaty with Israel's king, Basha, so that he will withdraw from me. Now, this is incredible. What, what Asa do, does is saying, I want you to go and betray your treaty with another man. Now, let me tell you something. Betrayal's never good. Come on. Betrayal is never good. Isn't it incredible, isn't it incredible that the man of God is encouraging a pagan to be more of a pagan and betray a treaty. You know, it's kind of like with Abraham. You know, hey, tell him you're my sister. Okay? It's incredible when God people lead ungodly people to be more ungodly. I'm telling you, we ought to be setting the example, not dragging them down. 
We, we ought to be setting the example and not dragging them down. But he says, I want you to go and break this treaty. I want you to betray. And listen, in, this, in doing this, he's saying, I'm not going to trust God in this. I'm going to trust the flesh. Every time we say, God, I'll handle it, we are really saying, God, you're not big enough. You're not big enough. God, I can, I'm wiser than you. God, I'm stronger than you. God, I've got more resources than you. Hey, God, I can handle it. I'll do it my way. Okay? That was his solution. And I can't explain why. I can't explain. Unless his own insecurity somehow, maybe it's like Elijah. You know, Elijah one minute is killing the thousands of prophets of Baal. And next minute he's running, running from a woman. Well, who knows? And that should be the warning, guys. Satan is a very powerful foe. And he can plant seeds of doubt and, and things like that in our brains and cause us to behave ourselves or walk away from God. Now, now I want you to see this. The Bible says, so Benahad listened to King Asa. Okay? So the pagan, <coughs> excuse me, listened to the man of God. Okay? Now, now let me read something to you. See if this rings a bell. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with the L? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you. You shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And that is 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 and following. So God says, don't be yoked together. And it's true in relationships. When you look for boyfriends... Make sure they know Jesus. Okay? When, listen, your very closest associations, with the exception of trying to win people to Jesus, okay, your very, who you're going to confide in with your, with your values and core values, make sure it's a believer. You don't need your very closest friend who you confide in, who you turn to, not have the same core values as you. But look what it says. Benahad listened to King Asa. There's a partnership there. There's now a partnership with a pagan king and what should be a godly king. And that's not a good match. And what I read to you was New Testament. But it's true in the Old Testament also. God says, don't have that association. When you go to the promised land, drive out the Canaanites. Okay? Get rid of them. Okay? So now we have a pagan and a man of God connected up. Now watch. And came to King Asa and sent the commanders of his armies, this is King Benahad, to the cities of Israel. They attacked Ijon, Dan, and Abel Mine, and all the stored cities of Naphtali. And when Basha heard about it, he quit building Ramah and stopped his work. Then King Asa brought all Judah, and they carried away the stones of Ramah and the timbers of Basha had built, built it with. Then he built Geba and Mizpah with them. Okay, now watch. Does he get results? Yeah. Come on. Yes, he does. The, the problem that he was concerned with disappeared. What he wanted to accomplish, he accomplished. This, this King Basha was no longer a threat. 
Um, the other king, Benahad, went up there to, to the northern part of Israel. And when, when, when he's down here building his fortress, he looks north and says, uh-oh. He abandons that and goes up north and to protect his northern front. So, he had, listen, what Asa wanted to happen, happened. But here's the question, and let it burn in your heart. At what cost? At what cost? See, you can get done what you won't get done. You want to hurt somebody? You can get it done. You want to get rid of the pastor? You can get it done. You want to get rid of some deacons? You can get it done. You want to end your marriage? You can get it done. But what's the cost? What's the cost? You need to ask yourself that question before you decide that you're wiser and smarter than God. You need to ask yourself, what's the cost going to be? Because for Asa, the cost was huge. And I'm going to tell you up front. The cost for you is going to be huge. That's why I look at these young parents here tonight. I say, man, if there's ever a time to live for God and be godly, it's now because there are young eyes watching you. And the cost is going to multiply as as your children get older. The more godly you are now, the more God you'll pour into them now. And the more godly they will probably grow up to be. So what's the cost? Watch this. Verse 7. At that time, Hananiah, the seer, the prophet. Now, notice what happened this morning. Azariah, the prophet, came. And what did he do to Azariah? He listened. Say, he listened. I mean, his heart was right. He, you know, it's so true in sermons. Either you're going to receive what the teacher says, or you're going to rebuke what the teacher says. One of the two. This morning, Asa received the teaching of the prophet. He was encouraged. Tonight, look what happens. Hananiah came, the seer came to King Asa of Judah and said this to him. Listen, this is so cool. Because you depended on the king of Anram and have not depended on the Lord your God. Because you depended on the flesh and not God. Because you took matters in your own hand and didn't depend on God. Since you paid... Excuse me. <coughs> Since you paid the way, not paved the way, you paid the way instead of trusting God. The army of the king of Aram has escaped from your hand. Now, here's the deal. If he had trusted God, the king of Amram would always be under authority. But he basically now has turned Amram loose. And for the next, listen now, listen. For the next 100 years, King Amram and his descendants and his people would be a thorn in the side of Judah. He had Amram where he wanted him, but he, doing things his own way, turned him loose. And for the next 100 years, the people paid the price. I'm telling you, he had him here, and now you're here And you could have had him under control. But you had to trust what? What do you have to trust? The flesh. You had to say, I can do it. You had to say, I can handle it. I can buy it. I can make it happen. Hey, after all, if I don't make it happen, who will? God. Not maybe the way you want, but God. God could have handled, listen, God, God could have handled King Bashaw, the king of Israel. God certainly could have handled Aram. That was not a problem. 
I mean, my goodness, he helped Asa defeat this huge army. It's incredible. Now watch. He reminds him, verse 8. Were not the Cushites and the Libyans a vast army with many chariots and horsemen? When you depended on God, say, when you depended on God. Mm-hmm. He handed them over to you. I mean, it's not like Asa had never seen the hand of God. He, in this situation, he, it wasn't even like, well, you know, it was, that was this kind of situation, that's this kind of situation. The exact same situation. There was a military threat, and against all odds, God did it. Here's a smaller situation. A smaller situation. Same situation. Military situation. And Asa goes, nah, not this time. Why? Why do we as the people of God do this? Why do we over and over again trust God? We see what God can do. We've seen God bring us through miracles. We've seen God bring us through healings. We've seen God put marriages back together. We've seen God do incredible things. Why all of a sudden, this little minuscule thing, we go, no, not this time, God. And we pay these huge prices. And again, with AIDS, I just really don't, I wish I could tell you this is why, but it's not there. But you know what? As I've seen 29 years of pastor's life, and I look back on some really puzzling things, deacons with affairs, pastors with affairs. It was such a... You, you, I saw God do this incredible things in your life. Why? And of course, believe me, this is the first guy to say, I know it could happen to anyone. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Walk out of here tonight with the knowledge it could happen to anyone. Don't say I'm above it. Because that's right where Satan wants you. That's when you start saying, I can handle it. Surprise, you can't. Come on, you can't. Look at verse 9. This is the highlight verse. This is the verse. For the eyes of Yahweh, the eyes of Creator God, roam throughout the earth to show Himself strong for those whose hearts are completely His. God looks around this earth to see people who will trust Him. God's looking for people who will say, I trust you. He's, I, I thought about it, and please, I do not mean to in any way um, disrespectful to God, but God's just looking a way to show off and be God. I mean, come on, don't you wake up some morning and see a beautiful sunrise and say, come on, God, you're just showing off now. Come on, you've done it. Hey, you've seen an answer to prayer and say, come on, God, you're just showing off. God's just waiting to show off in a big way that He's God and He's strong enough to handle your situation. But he's looking for people who will trust him in these situations. That's what he's waiting for. Now watch, he goes on. The prophet says, you have been foolish in this matter. Therefore, you will have wars from now on. So so, so the, the, the prophet says, God says, you've been foolish in this. Now, let me quote to you pretty close, Psalm 14.1. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. I've used this verse several times. I'm hoping you'll remember it. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Now, I've told you before that the word there is are italics, which means it's not in the Hebrew. So, it really says, the fool has said in his heart, no God. No God. Now, that can be no God or no God. And we become a very foolish people when we let God say, no, God, not this time. 
I know, God, you, you defeated the army here. And God, I know you came through here. And God, I know you came through here. But God, not this time. And I'm telling you, when you find yourself in a situation and you find yourself saying, go, no, God, not this time, watch out. You're one step away from walking away from the God you love. Be careful, Sunday night crowd. Be careful, ancient of day Christians who've been saved for 30, 40, or 50, or 60 years. Be careful, three-time-a-weekers in your attendance. Because you're not exempt. In fact, in a strange, twisted way, you might be more susceptible to this. Be careful. So when the prophet said, you've been foolish, he also gives a prediction says, you're going to have wars from now on. And did, did I tell you it happened? For the next 100 years, okay, Judah was engaged in warfare because he loosed the king of Amram and his descendants. Now, how did Asa respond this morning to the prophet? He listened. He heard. He received. He was encouraged. Be strong, the prophet has said. Be strong because your work has reward. And Asa went out and reinforced what he'd already done, tearing down the idols in Judah. What's his response to the prophet now? This is huge. Verse 10. Asa was angry with the seer. In 2 Chronicles chapter 16, Asa was angry with the seer and put him in prison because of his anger over this. In pride, his anger, his response this time was anger and he put the preacher in jail. What an incredible change from the guy we read about this morning. And I'm telling you what, whether it be me or Brent or David or Randy, you name the preacher, I don't care. But when, when the preacher says, thus says the Lord, and the hackles get up on your neck, and you don't go out that door, you go out that door, and when you leave and, and you go home and you have preacher for lunch... I don't suppose that ever happens. Be careful. I'm just telling you, the messenger you listen to it ain't God. It's Satan wanting to stir your pot up. But it's amazing, it's incredible how that when there's sin in our lives, we want to attack the messenger because we represent God. I know this. I know this. You know this. You know this. So Asa's response because his heart was wrong, was that he put the preacher in jail. Okay? And listen. Remember, we don't one day make a decision to walk away from God. We behave ourselves away from God. One sin leads to another. And this man who was so respected by the people, so loved by the people, watch what it says. Verse 10, the last part. And Asa mistreated some of the people at that time. And really more than some. So watch this. A man who trusted God turns to the flesh. He gets the desired result. Okay? He loses King Amram and his descendants. And wars are on his kingdom now for the next 100 years, of which he's not going to see most of that. But, but the bottom line is, war is declared on the kingdom of Judah for the rest of that time. Okay? He is called on the carpet by God. Okay? He puts the preacher in jail. And a, a, pre, a leader who had the respect of the people now mistreats the people. It's like David. What was David? David was a singer. Come on, amen? 
David was a singer. The book, he wrote a large portion of the book of Psalms, and Psalms are the Jewish hymn book. He was a singing man. But you know what he said one day after his sin with Bathsheba? I groan. I scream all the night long. Sin will take away your song. Sin will take away your song and it will change you. It will change you. Asa went from being a great leader of people to one who mistreated people. Sin does that. Be aware. I tried to say this two weeks ago in our message. Be aware when you see a change in your behavior, whether it be your attendance, your quiet time, your prayer life, how you treat your brothers and sisters in Christ. Be aware when you start seeing a negative change in that. It may be a sign that you're saying, hey, God, I can handle it. It may be a sign of you walking away from God. Now, let's read the end of the story. Verse number 11, 2 Chronicles 16. Note that the events of Asa's reign from beginning to end are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa developed a, a disease in his feet. And his disease became increasingly severe. Okay, so whatever it is, he's crippled, there's a disease in his feet, and it's getting worse and worse and worse. Not good for a leader. You know, they tried, when, when Theodore Roosevelt was president... Okay, is that right? No, wrong. Which one? Franklin Roosevelt. Wrong president. Franklin Roosevelt had polio. They did everything they could to hide his inability to walk. You know why? A man who can't walk is perceived as weak. He would have a hard time being a leader, he thought, because he was an incredible leader. He had a hard time believing he could be a leader if people saw that weakness. Aza's in trouble because he's perceived as being weak because of this. Now watch, watch. Yet... Even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but only the physicians. Now, do you see that word only? That's huge. That's huge. Okay? Even now, in his illness, he doesn't trust God. He turns to the physicians. Now, listen. I'm one of those guys that believe with all my heart God uses physicians to heal people. God's the ultimate healer, but he uses the hand. But the key word is here. He says... No thanks, God. I'll let the doctors handle it. Dangerous. Dangerous. And the Bible says he died. A few years later, in his 41st year of his reign, he rested with his fathers. Now watch verse 14. He was buried in his own tomb that he had made for himself in the city of David. They laid, I like that word, this is, I think it's Holman Christian Standard. They laid him out in a coffin, you know, that was full of spices and various mixtures of prepared ointments. Then they made a great fire in his honor. So here it is. Here's this great leader who started out so well, took off great, started the marathon, okay, and somehow crashed and burned. Somehow ran ten miles and quit. He depended on the flesh. And when he, when he dies... They honor him with embalming fluids that make him smell great. You know, all the spices. And they build a great fire in his honor. Bottom line is this. Great funeral, but loss of reward. Now, y'all know, if you were to die tomorrow, if I was, you know, I can't say if I was to die because I couldn't do the funeral. But if y'all, boy, we tell about what a great person you are and how, how you went to church on Sunday night. I'll just tell you all these wonderful things. But guess what? It doesn't matter what Dwayne says. It matters what God says. It's not enough to have a nice funeral at the end. You've got to have a legacy. You have a legacy that this man served God. 
Asa didn't get that. Samson didn't get that. Solomon didn't get that. But our prayer needs to be, God, may we get that. I I can't remember exactly. Someday I said this a while and I wrote it down. May the last thing said of me be said of him. I don't, you know, I don't want when I die, people say, boy, Dwayne, he could preach. Dwayne had a big heart. Dwayne loved people. I want somebody to say that Dwayne loved God. And I want to make it to I'm 70 something or 80 something and be able to say that at 70 or 80, he loved God. And that should be our desire. But I honestly believe, now hear me, the honestly believe the only hope that ever happened is to be on guard. To be on guard. To be sensitive to any change in our spiritual welfare that might point to that we're behaving ourselves away from God. I wish I could tell you that it doesn't happen to senior adults. It, you know, let me just stick my foot in my mouth here just a moment. You know, it's one of the most incredible things to me is when senior adults live together. It's incredible to me. I mean, I almost kind of understand with the new culture we have, when a young couple lives together, don't approve it, but I kind of go, yeah, well, that's the culture. But when I see, when I see senior adults who were raised in a generation that knew better, when they choose to live together, I'm going, and what's up with that? I've just seen this. Oh, well, Dwayne, it's about Social Security, and it's about pension, it's about sin! <laughs> it's about sin! We want to finish well in every aspect of our lives. May the lesson of Asa speak to us tonight spiritually. May we trust God. May we consolidize God. I need you all the time. Big deals and little deals. God, I need you. And God, I trust you. Let's pray. Let's pray. Well, so where are you tonight? Do you have an enemy just to your north? It may be doubt. It may be fear. It may, it may be unbelief. I don't know. But is there an enemy just to your north? And you feel like if you don't do it, it won't get done. If you don't act, no one will. Then maybe tonight's the night when you say, okay, God, I see that in me. I see that weakness. I see that kink in my armor. And God, I'm I'm declaring right now. God, I'm declaring right now that I'm going to trust you. Because God, I don't want to just start well. I want to end well. I don't want just a great takeoff. I want a successful landing. I don't want to just register for the marathon and be there for the gun. I want to finish 26.3 miles and cross the finish line. And we do that by being increasingly aware of how much Satan wants to stop us. We've got to trust God. We've got to believe God. We've got to stay close to God. We've got to be so sensitive spiritually, discerning spiritually weaknesses in our lives. So we'll know and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, that's not right. That's not right. This means something. And be willing to do something about that. I'm telling you, it's huge. There might well be, I know there's a generation, and there might be two generations counting on you. Because grandma and grandpa, if you quit, you're telling the grandkids 
It doesn't matter. If you sin, you're telling the grandkids it's all right. You're telling your children it's okay. That's the importance of the matter. So, Father, I thank you tonight. And, Father, I pray for us. I pray for us, God, that we will finish well. I thank you for the story of Asa. And may we learn tonight from him. I so believe, Father, that so much of the Old Testament is there for our edification. The examples are written so we may learn thereby. Help us to learn. Father, for my brother or my sister who is here tonight, and tonight is rung in their hearts, and perhaps their first instinct is deny it. Perhaps their first instinct is to have the hair on their neck raise up, the hackles come up, and to walk out of this building perhaps even angry. I pray against that, Father. Rather, I pray we'll humble ourselves before you. It's okay, God. You see the weakness. You see the kink. Now, Father, help me to trust you. And Lord, may generations find us faithful. May the coming people in our generations find us faithful. And we will give you the honor and the glory and the praise for it. And Jesus, we ask this in your name. Amen.